Have you ever played hide and seek with a small child? Um, my children are older, but I can remember, I can still remember playing hide and seek with them with our little kids. Um, and you kind of go through phases when you play hide and seek with little kids. Um, when the kids are really little, I remember the first phase. That's when you say to a kid, you go and hide, and they run and hide somewhere, and then you count to 10, and you turn around, and they're standing next to you. You remember that phase? Because they've gone and hide, they've gone and hid somewhere, and then they run back and say, I hid. And you have to explain to them, no, the, the concept of the game is that you stay hidden, uh, you stay hidden until I find you. I remember that. Um, but then once kids get to that phase, um, then they enter the next phase, which I think is, is the most fun uh, phase. And that's where small children hide. But they have this idea that if they can't see you, you can't see them. You know that phase of the game? So like they can hide behind a curtain uh, with their feet all sticking out of the curtain. But if they can't see you behind the curtain, they think that you can't see them, even though their feet are sticking out. Or they, uh, my kids used to go, go into their bedroom, they used to hide under their quilt. Like, you know, curl up into a ball under their quilt and figure, well, you know, they're under the quilt, they can't see you because you walk into the bedroom and there's a, you know, a, big, a big mound right in the middle of the bed and you know they're under there, but they think that they can't see you. Or my absolute favourite is, um, and my, my son would do this, he would crawl under the dining table. So, you know, a big dining table, it's very open. He'd crawl under the dining table and he'd crawl up in a ball and he'd put his head in his hands, right? <laughs> so it was dark. So he couldn't see you and he figured, he's under the table, he's, he's here and he's shaking his head. No, you used to do this. And he'd have his head in his hands and he'd figure, it's dark and he's under the table, you can't see him. But of course you walk past it, he's like, he's just right there under, the, under a dining table. Um, and it's kind of funny, like, because kids think, you know, like, I, I, I'm hiding. They're really not hiding, but they just... They just, you know, that's the way that if, if you can't see me, I can't see you. And uh, I remember that game. And it's a kind of fun game. Except that the, the truth is, and this is where I want to go with our message this morning, actually, we all live life a little bit like that. Um, there's a part of all of us that kind of wants to hide from things. There's a part of all of us that wants to sort of climb under the table and put our head in our hands and, uh, and, and pretend like things aren't happening. And um, emotions like guilt and shame, and hurt, and failure, those things tend to lead us all to want to hide. You know, we want to avoid those things. We want to run away from those things. We want to hide from those things. Um, and, 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 and so when those things happen to us, we tend to, um, to withdraw. Uh, we tend to shut down. Um, we, when those things happen, we start to distance ourselves emotionally from other people. And we also start to distance ourselves from God. For many of us, when those things happen, when there's sin and shame and guilt and fear, we often tend to run from God in those situations. Um, we're like a six-year-old. You know, We kind of hide under the table. We crawl under our quilt. We pull a doona over the top of us. And we think, I've stuffed up, you know, I, I, I can't see God. I, I guess God can't see me. Um, and, and, and I want to be honest, most of us don't like to admit this. You know, we like to say, no, no, that's not me. I don't do that. Um, and some of us, you know, we even fight the urge. You know, I, I don't want to be like that. Um, but the truth is, all of us do that. Uh, you know, me included, we all do that from time to time. It's a part of what it is to be human. And if you've ever done that, if you feel like that, and maybe if you feel like that this morning in some area of your life, I want to say you're not alone. Um, you know, that, that, is, that is an emotion. It is a part of life that comes to all of us. Um, and it's a part of life that's come to people 
all through history. This isn't new. This isn't something, you know, this isn't an our generation thing. This is part of what it is to be human. Um, in, in fact, our tendency to hide, our tendency to run from things and hide from things goes back uh, generations. It goes back actually thousands of years. In fact, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. Um, uh, the Bible begins with a story of creation. We've talked about this many times. Uh, Genesis in your Bible, the very first book of the Bible, begins with a creation story. But the creation story in the Bible is not just a story about how the world began. It's not really a, a scientific thing as much as it is a story about the world the way that God created it to be. That's really what Genesis 1 and, and 2 is. It's not a scientific, it's not ever never written as a scientific explanation of, of this is how we got here. It's a picture of the way that, uh, a picture of the, of the world the way that God created the world to be. And one of the things you notice when you read that is that it is good. Uh, right through that creation story as God creates the world at every moment. It's like God pauses and steps back and says, and it is good. Uh, he creates plants and trees and animals and rivers and mountains and seas. And at every point he says it's good. And when he creates people, when he creates the first people in Adam and Eve, he steps back and he looks at them and he says, people are good. But sadly, the world doesn't stay like that. The world was created to be good. People were created to be good. And, and, and in that moment, while it doesn't stay like that, in that moment, people enjoyed this amazing intimacy and friendship and openness with God. And if you read through that story, and I encourage you to do this kind of homework, if you like, read through that story. You'll see that in the first two chapters, Adam and Eve, the first people, they... They talked with God, just, just talked with him. They walked with him. They hung out with God. There was this, there was this sort of friendship and intimacy and openness uh, when the world was good. There was, this, there was this openness that happened between God and people that, as I read it now, is, is really beautiful. And the final verse of Genesis chapter 2, actually, the very final verse says, um, The man and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. It's kind of a summary of the way the world was, the way the world was created to be, that people uh, were naked before God and they felt no shame. And, and when it says naked, it's not just talking about physical nakedness. It's talking about a kind of emotional nakedness. Does, does that make sense? It was, it was kind of like they were naked. They were, they were honest that God could see all of them, that they could see all of God and that was a good thing. But then in Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. Because men and women decide that they don't want to do, uh, they don't want to live God's way. They don't want to live in the world that, the way that God created. They actually want to sort of create their own thing and do their own thing. And say so they, they rebel against God. And, and they say, God, we... we we get the way you've set things up. We look at this world, it's pretty good, but we've got a better way to do it. We think we've got a better way to do it and we want to do things our own way. And so they rebel against God. But that rebellion had really unexpected consequences. If you've got a Bible um, and you're in Genesis, it's easy to find. It's the first book of the Bible. So you've only got to turn, you know, two or three pages in. Um, uh, if you're on a device, it's, uh, it's the first one top of the list. Um, Genesis chapter three. Uh, I'm going to read from verse seven. Um, this talks about what happened after that rebellion, after 
uh, after people kind of rebelled against God. And it says, Then the eyes of both of them, that's talking about Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. With their rebellion comes shame and guilt. With their shame and guilt comes fear. And with their fear comes the desire to hide. And men and women, you and me, have been hiding from God ever since that moment. Ever since that moment, nakedness has become something to avoid. Nakedness has become, and it still is, nakedness has sort of become a bad thing. Both physical nakedness, but also emotional nakedness. I mean, physical nakedness, you know, we, we cover and we hide our physical selves. And, and, and you know, the idea of, of someone seeing your nakedness for most of us is kind of a bad thing and, and something we hide and something we want to avoid. But it's more than just that physical nakedness. It's the emotional nakedness. We hide, we're afraid that other people, we're afraid that God even might see the real us. You know, what if people really knew what I was thinking inside? What if people really knew the kind of things that I looked at my looked on at my computer, you know, late at night when no one's watching? What if no one what if people really knew the things that I think about others, the things that I think about those people at work, the things, the conversations that I have in my head? In fact, I want to suggest that the truth of it is that most of us are probably more afraid of people seeing us emotionally naked than we are of them seeing us physically naked. You know, we're actually more worried that people might see what goes on in our hearts and in our minds than people might see what's under these clothes. And so we hide. We train ourselves and we've learned to hide. We do what social psychologists call image management. We create sort of masks, we create barriers, we create pictures for other people. You know, we create ourselves, we create an image that we want other people to see of us. We act in certain ways, we dress in certain ways, we, we, we hang out with certain people, we go to certain places, we, we talk in certain ways. And it's all about sort of projecting an image of the kind of us that people want to see. Or that we want people to see, really, is more the truth of it. And for lots of us, we, are, we live sort of stuck in this kind of image management kind of world. Wrestling inside with who we really are and what we really think and, and you know, what, what's in our heart and what we really believe. Yet at the same time, carefully curating, you know, and now because we do it online as well, don't we? Carefully curating this outer picture of who we want to be, of who we want people to see that we really are. The good news today, the good news today is that when Jesus entered the world, that whole story changed. There is hope. For those of us who are stuck in that and thinking, you know, what do I do, how to get out of that? I want to tell you, there is hope. When Jesus came into the world, he came into the world 
to change things and, if you like, to set things right. He came into the world to return the world to the way it was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, to return the world the way it was before that rebellion. He came to restore the world to the way it was. And so when, when Jesus, as he lived, when Jesus died on the cross, everything changed. When Jesus died on the cross, the way that we relate to God changed forever. When, when Jesus died on the cross, the way that we relate to each other changed forever. When Jesus died on the cross, the way that we relate to and live in the world, the physical world around us, changed forever. And at the moment that Jesus died, at that very moment, when, when Matthew sat down to write the story of Jesus' life and, and, to, and to communicate Jesus' life and death, at the very moment that Jesus died, Matthew records this really curious detail. This is uh, Matthew chapter 27, right at the very end of Matthew's book. Matthew chapter 27, and you can find it in verse 51. Write it down if you uh, can't get there quick and read it later. This is what Matthew records. At the very moment when Jesus died on the cross, the cross is a long way out of Jerusalem, but back in Jerusalem, uh, Matthew records that at that moment, that's the moment that Jesus died, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that sounds really weird. So let me give you a little background. The Jewish temple was the heart of their religion. It sat in the middle of Jerusalem and it was massive. It was, um, you know, people argue about exact size, but it was something like about 500 metres long, 300 metres wide, had big wall around it, it was a huge open courtyard, um, uh, and in the middle of the temple complex sat the temple itself. And it too was a huge building. Um, you couldn't go into the temple. You go into the courtyard. Some people could go into the courtyard. You couldn't go into the temple. Um, only the priests uh, could go into the temple. And inside the temple, there were another series of rooms. And right in the center of the temple was a place that the Jews called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And the Jews believed that the presence of God actually lived in that tiny center room. No one could ever go into that room. Actually, the high priest, the, the priest of the priest, could go in there once a year. And he had to go through this huge ritual, this, all this stuff to be able to go in there just once a year. And separating that little room from the rest of the temple was this huge, thick curtain. Now, when I think of a curtain, I think of the kind of thing that hangs in my bedroom. This curtain was not like that. Um, historians believe this curtain was, was something like two stories high and it was literally inches thick. Right? This was a wall of tightly woven fabric. This is not like a curtain that you, know, you open in the morning and let the sunlight in. And Matthew says that at the moment that Jesus died, and obviously someone else has you know, told him this, at the moment that Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It's a way of saying that at the moment that Jesus died, the thing that separates God from people was ripped in half. Does that make sense? And he says it was torn from top to bottom. Now, the thing's at least two stories high. There's no way anyone could even touch the top, let alone rip it from the top. It's Matthew's way of saying what? God tore the curtain in half. 
It's his way of saying that at the moment that Jesus died, God literally ripped in half the barrier that separated people from God. That there is now no more need to hide. There is nothing that separates us from the presence of God. Ever since Genesis 3, you know, I said Genesis 1 and 2, there was all this, this, uh, this intimate friendship that happened. From the point of Genesis 3, men and women were sort of were kicked out of the garden and there's been this separation between people and God. And at the moment that Jesus died, that separation ended. Jesus' death and his resurrection provides a way for us to reconnect with God. It, it provides a way for us to be personally connected again with the God of the universe. Once again, we can talk with God. We can walk with God. We can hang out with God, if you like, as a friend. And Jesus has made that possible through the cross. Um, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, we're not going to read it all, but write it in your notes, more homework, read these couple of chapters. Hebrews 9 and 10 talks in depth about what was going on and, and the, the whole kind of dynamic that's going on. Um, but I want to read for you a, a kind of summary. Um, Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 22, right at the end of this, this couple of chapters. Um, the writer of Hebrews says this, and he's talking specifically about this, this whole dynamic. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, he's talking about that in a room in the temple. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's what gets us in there, Jesus on the cross. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Right? He's, he's He's saying in, in biblical terms what I've just been saying to you, that through the death of Jesus, through his body, we can now go through that curtain. The curtain's torn in two. We can go through the curtain into the presence of God. And then verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. He's saying that Jesus has opened the way for us to come again into the presence of God. Jesus has opened the way for you to have a personal and an intimate relationship with God again, like it was in the beginning. But you now have a choice. He says, you know, therefore, let us draw near to God. He's saying, it's like he's saying, the door is open. Jesus has made it possible. He's torn the curtain in half. But we now have a choice as to whether we walk into that holy place or not. The choice is ours now as to whether we walk into that relationship, as whether, we, as whether we go there, if you like, or whether we continue to stand outside. And that's the catch. Because the reality is that many of us have become so content hiding. We've become so comfortable sort of behind our fig leaves, if you like, <laughs> We've become so comfortable hiding from God that we never, we never sort of venture out of our comfort to be really intimate and honest with God. I mean, there are people sitting in church, there are people sitting in churches who are living good moral lives and they're volunteering and they're nice people and they're all of that. But they've never taken the offer to be really open and intimate 
and honest with God. Does that make sense? It's like they're missing out. It's like they're, they're standing on the edge. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us draw near to God. But it, it's, it's like they're so busy hiding, you know, like a kid kind of, you know, you're hiding in hide and seek. And someone's saying, you can come out now and, and the party's on, but you just want to keep hiding. And so today's message really is just an invitation, is an invitation to say, you know what? We can take a risk and we can draw near to God. And I want to encourage you to embrace the relationship that Jesus has made possible for you. I want to encourage you to be naked again. Right? Don't worry. No one's taking their clothes off. All right? Um, I want to encourage encourage you. This morning is about saying, seriously, let's be naked again. Let's be emotionally naked. Let's be as we were, as as God designed us to be in the beginning, where we can be totally open and totally intimate with God. Where we can drop our guard, where we can sort of step step out from behind our masks with God and be real with him. Where we can, you know, drop the church talk, um, you know, and, and, and not worry about, well, you know, I, I, you know, the sort of image management that we do with other people. To put that aside and to be totally real and totally authentic with God. I mean, the truth is some of us don't look so good naked, right? Uh, I put myself in that boat too. Some of us don't look so good naked, but here's the good news. God doesn't care. And I know when I say that, you think, yeah, 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 but that's easy for you to say, Matt, maybe, but you don't know what goes on in my head. You don't know the conversations that I have. You don't know the things that I think. You don't know some of the things that I do when no one's around and no one's looking. But I want to tell you that God wants the real you. That God wants nothing more than to have that intimate friendship and relationship with you. In fact, God wants it so much that he sacrificed his own son so that he could get it. God was so desperate to have a personal and an intimate. He was so desperate to be close to you that he sacrificed his own son so that he could tear the curtain in half and get back to the way he designed it to be in the first place. Does that make sense? God desires nothing more than to have a relationship with you where you can talk openly with him, where you can be honest with him, and also where you can listen openly to what it is that he wants to say to you and what it is that he wants to be for you in your life. He wants to be in a place where you can share with him, where you can talk with him, where you can be sad with him, where you can be angry with him, where you can even be frustrated with him but also where you can be joyful with him, where you can sing and dance and shout and party with him. He wants all that part of you. Sometimes we do this thing in church where, you know, like we kind of get to church and, you know, we're all quiet and we're somber and we're whatever. And, you know, then we go home and we're the life of the party. God wants all of you. He doesn't want the church you. He wants all of you. You know, he doesn't just want those nice things you talk about when you're in church. He wants those things. He wants those things that you talk about when you're, you know, out with your mates, when you're at work, when you're home alone. He wants every part of you in intimate, close friendship and relationship. 
As I said, he wants it so bad that he sacrificed his only son, his only son, so that he could have that with you. And now he's waiting. Like he's done everything. He's chased you and it's like he's brought you to the doorstep and he's saying now, draw near. The curtain's not there. It's torn apart. Draw near. That's actually what it means to have a relationship with God. You ever been around church and you hear people talking about, I've got a relationship with Jesus. This is what it means. It's a relationship. Like it's a best friendship. Better than a best friendship. You know, it, it, it's that. It's whatever you think of when you think of your best friend or your husband or your wife or your, whatever. You know, you think, oh, I've got this, you know, that's super close. That's what Jesus, that's what God wants with you. He wants that level of, in fact, he wants more than that level of intimacy. So this morning's message is just simply to say, come on, let's do it. Let's, let, let's take a risk and let's step into that place where we are open and honest and totally authentic with God. In other words, church, let's get naked. 